last week, Pastor Jay um, spoke to us about, reminded us, the story of the lepers who came to Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 17. And uh, they, they were, there were 10 of them, and Jesus healed them of this awful, terrible, deadly, horrible disease called leprosy. And the Bible says that they went off, as they went off, they were healed, and only one of them returned to say thank you. And that one that returned to say, that said thank you, Jesus asked him a question. He said, where are the other nine? Were there not 10 that had leprosy? Were there not 10 that were healed? Where are the other nine? I know that was a little odd. We talked about how odd that was. But the truth is, 2,000 years later, Jesus really wants to ask us that same question. Where are the other nine? Why did they not come back? Why was it so hard for 90% of the ones healed that day to just come back and do a simple thing like say, thank you? So today, I want to ask myself that question. I want you to ask yourself that question. Why is it so hard sometimes to do the simple thing of just being grateful? Just saying thank you. Why is it so hard for us to show our gratitude and express our gratitude? Today, my message is this. I want to share with you some of the hindrances to gratitude, to a life of gratitude. But before I do, we got to go to our scripture for the day because this is powerful. Colossians chapter 2. And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. The Christian standard is not just to sort of be grateful. It's not, the standard isn't just, hey, I need to know how to say thank you. I need to know what to be thankful for. The Christian standard is to overflow with gratitude. Have a life that overflows with thankfulness, that spills out on everyone around us. That's what the Christian word means. In other words, to live a life where gratitude is a big deal. Showing gratitude is a really big deal. It doesn't just trickle out of us. It doesn't every once in a while show up in us. It overflows with us. It's, it's uh, not something that's barely detectable, but something that's clearly out there that everybody sees. That is a grateful, thankful person. Now, I, I need to ask myself, is that me? Is that how I live my life? Does it spill out on others around me? That's why Jesus asked them that question. Asked the man, where are the other nine? He was asking it to us. He wanted us to answer the question, why is it so difficult? It deserves an examination. So, here we go. I have, I have uh, narrowed it down to three thoughts that I want to give you that I think are the biggest hindrances to us living a life overflowing with gratitude. And it's, it's not going to be real complicated. And so here goes. Number one, the noise of life. I'm talking about the sheer velocity and volume of our lives. 
I'm talking we have appointments, we have obligations, we have necessities, we have things we have to do, things that must get done. There's never enough time to, to meet all the deadlines. So what drops off? A lot of important things. Things like prayer, things like church attendance, things like personal devotions, and then down that list, gratitude. Just being willing to notice and say thank you. Sometimes we're just so busy. We don't intend to be ungrateful. We're just so busy. We just forget. Uh, Peggy and I have been married for 43 years. It's been incredible. Uh, one year, we had been married, I guess we'd been married about seven years, and, and uh, we both were teachers at Kingwood School at the time, and, and uh, August is a, uh, is a tough time to, to uh, get everything done when you're getting a schoolroom ready to teach. And so we had worked hard, we had worked all, uh, all week and all day on a certain day to, to get everything together. And we came home late in the evening and we had, we had a little, uh, Lindsay was little then. And so while Peggy was going to go put, get Lindsay to bed, we realized we didn't have any milk. And so I jumped in the car and I went down to the nearest service station, 7-Eleven kind of place to grab some milk. And I got a gallon of milk and I wrote a check. And as I filled the check out, I realized it was our anniversary. And I am dead meat. That's, I thought, oh no, what have I done? I kept looking. Is it, I asked him, is, this, is it really August 22nd? Yes. Oh. And I thought, what am I going to do? I mean, it's late at night. So in the 7-Eleven, I found one of those racks of cards, and I found an anniversary card that was faded where the sun had faded half of it, and I got that card, and I filled it out in the car, and I put it in an envelope and said, oh my goodness, she's going to be so upset at me. So I went, I went home, and I, I walked in, and, and she was in the kitchen or whatever, and I said, hey, hey, I'm so sorry, happy anniversary, and I gave her this card. She burst into tears, and I knew I was dead meat. And she said, Mark, I'm so sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Folks, I was devastated that I had forgotten our anniversary, but I was so happy she had forgotten it the same year. <laughs> what are the chances? I want you to know, we determined that night, never again are we going to forget our anniversary. I'm telling you, the noise of life does that to us. It sometimes just hinders us from even being thankful. And sometimes there's another word, habituation. Now, I know that's a weird word. What it means is like the habit. We get in a habit of everything to where we don't think it's a big deal anymore. We do things over and over. And we get desensitized to the, to the habit that is. For instance, like eating a meal. Or like going to a restaurant and a server comes up and serves you. Or you're in the checkout line at the grocery store and it's, it's just part of life. It's no big deal. Why would you need to be thankful with something that's just so common? It's sometimes that same busyness that keeps us from thinking about God. Because it's such a habit to just put God up on the shelf. He's always going to be there that we don't even take the time to talk to him sometimes. The noise of life sometimes blinds us when the noise is painful. Uh, many of you are aware that yesterday we were able to have a memorial service for James Jones, who's just 
one of the most incredible men that we ever had at this church. He, he um, in, in the aftermath of COVID, he uh, passed away. And uh, he's, for those of you that uh, may not know his name, he's one of those ushers that met everybody every week and knew everybody. An incredible man. And um, I was just amazed yesterday at the memorial service when I heard his family stand up and say, I am so grateful for the medical professionals that helped us over the last month, for the kind uh, notes and words and emails and messages and texts that we got from all of you and all the people that pray, even though the main prayer they had that James would not pass away did not happen, they took the time to notice and to be thankful for the blessings of God through God's people and what God did for them in the middle of the pain. Sometimes our pain is so bad, we forget to be thankful. And God is speaking to us, even in the middle of our pain. Here's our second hindrance to gratitude. Abundance. <laughs> Ooh. Yep, I said it. Abundance. We have plenty. And sometimes it just doesn't seem enough, does it? <laughs> and then the desire of more overwhelms us. Sometimes we act like little spoiled children. It shows up in a lot of different ways. One of the ways it shows up is entitlement. The other day, uh, on the trick-or-treat day, uh, the, you know, the, somebody rings the doorbell, and Peggy and I came to the door, and we opened the door, and it was the cutest little kid. He was, he was just a little bitty thing. He had a little top hat on, and he was dressed up like the greatest showman. And it had a little cape. Oh, man, he was just an incredible kid. And we opened the door, and he goes, give me my candy. <laughs> and his mother about had a heart attack. Oh, no, no, no. You know, she was so upset that he had done that. We laughed. And it's cute when it's a little kid at the door. But it's not cute when it's a grown-up. It's not cute when it's somebody that knows better. There's this sense sometimes of entitlement. Hey, give me my stuff. Give me my stuff. Gratitude is both taught by somebody and learned. It doesn't come automatically, in case you're wondering. It doesn't come automatically. Uh, it's, we get into this thing to where it's like, we better get what's ours while we can. How, how many commercials do you see on television that end with, get the settlement you deserve? I mean, even fast food. You deserve. You deserve a break today. Everything is you deserve. We live in a world where everybody feeds us with a you deserve, you deserve. And it makes us do what? Look inside. Abundance sometimes makes us look inside and make us, makes us think, what do I want next? I need more. Get what you deserve is the mentality of a thief, <laughs> of a looter. Really, it is. There's no gratitude in a thief or a looter. It's get what's mine. I deserve it. And then there's, there's another part of abundance. It's, it has to do with comparison with other people or consumerism. Hey, they got that. I want that. If somebody has one of those. I want that. I see that. I want one like that. I want one like that. And there's always something else that we need. I remember back in the, boy, I don't know if it was 70s or 80s, there was a movie called The Jerk. And it was a Steve Martin movie. And it was the funniest movie ever. And one of the scenes, Steve Martin was, had been kicked out of his house. 
And he walks out there and says, I don't need you anymore. I don't need anything. I'm okay just like I am. All I need is. And then he looks over and he sees a chair, a yard, just an old folding chair. And he goes, just this folding chair, it's all I need. I don't need anything. Just this folding chair and, and that lawnmower, that's all I need. And he grabbed the lawnmower. And before long, he had piled all over himself the water hose, just all these different things that he thought of that he needed. He just kept needing stuff. It was one of the funniest scenes. And the truth is, that's sort of what we do. I don't need anything. I'm fine. I just need, and then the list is a mile long. Actually, abundance without gratitude leaves us in a dark place in our life. Now, there's a third hindrance. This is sort of the biggie that keeps us from having an attitude of gratitude, and it is a prideful heart. You know what? I have noticed over time, and as you see my hair color, you understand time has been there. People that are critical, judgmental, easily offended, People that hold grudges, people that have unforgiveness in their heart, have a hard time saying thank you to anybody. I've just noticed that over time. It's just, it's just the truth. When you nurse a, an offense and a wound or judgmental spirit, it's very hard to see anything good in anybody else. Pride causes someone to lift themselves up above everyone else. Not seeing the need to be grateful. In the 19th century American South, slave owners who owned slaves, they never said thank you to a, a person that worked for them. They never felt the need to say thank you. Why would you do that? That would be a way to lower yourself. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. That is the ultimate in pride. That's, why would they want to lower themselves to that? That's, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God, though. It's, it's prideful heart that feels that saying thank you is stooping low and humiliating yourself. But there are a lot of people that feel that way. How does it happen today? Well, I don't need charity. I can do it myself. I don't need any help. I can do it all by myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. Look, a can-do attitude is great, but the truth is none of us can do everything. God created us to need one another, not to own one another. God created us to need one another. I need you, you need me. I need to say thank you to you, you need to say thank you to me. It's supposed to be reciprocal in our world. And gratitude builds when you see the value in those people around you. But when you lift yourself up in pride and don't think anybody else has as much value as you do, you lose this incredible thing in your heart called gratitude. Pride brings out a lot in us, like, like impatience. Okay, let's say I go, to the, I go to the grocery store, and I'm in line at the grocery store. I'm telling you this because this has happened. I'm in line at the grocery store, and I pick the wrong line. You ever pick the wrong line? You pick the line, you realize that once you got in the line, and then there's the person up there with the buggy full of stuff, and uh, they, are, they are slowly taking it out of their buggy, and uh, they also have coupons. And there you go, you're going, oh boy, and it's not just coupons, it's a coupon that doesn't work. 
And so, and you're sitting there going, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe this. And you get mad. And then you, then you see the, the, the poor cashier out there and you're thinking, that's the single slowest cashier I've ever seen in my life. And you're sitting there and all this stuff is happening. And then finally, it's your turn. And you want to walk up and, and, and you want to walk up and, and the first thing you think is, finally. And you think, oh, I don't need to say that when they say, uh, hello. And you go, finally. And that, but you're so worked up and it's real tense. And you, you have said it, finally. Even under your breath, it's tense. And then they finish, you pay, they take that receipt, and they do their obligatory, thank you for shopping with us. Now, you have a choice at that point. We have a choice. I have a choice. I can either say nothing, take it, and think they don't deserve a thank you so slow as they are and walk on out. Or I can take it and say, you know what? It's not their fault. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a great day. I have a choice. I can do one of the two. Why don't I do the second one all the time? Because I let my offense, that I, that wasn't even an offense, it was just a circumstance, rob me. And you know that's pride? That's pride when my feelings matter more than that other person's. It's the truth. Pride brings those things out in us. Uh, eventually, a prideful heart brings what psychologists call a negativity bias. Now, that's a thing. It's like a, an official thing, okay? It means it becomes the norm for someone to feel the victim of everyone else's stupidity. Everyone around me is stupid, and I'm the smart one. And they become chronically disappointed in everything and everyone. Nobody meets their standards. Nobody does it right. There's always something wrong, always offended, always mad, always upset, something upset that you're about. It's void of appreciation and gratitude because it's so full of negative words and negative feelings. And it's a thing. It's called negativity bias. And it's a sickness. It really is. It's a telltale relationship of one's lack of intimacy with God. Because when you're close to God, you don't see everything as the dark side of the moon. I ought to know that. I play the part of Ebenezer Scrooge half for over 30 years in a play, not not since COVID, but for, for those years and maybe in the future, I, I'll be honest with you, that was Scrooge's problem. Scrooge's problem was his words just reflected his spiritual bankruptcy. He was rich, but he was spiritually bankrupt, and his words gave it away. His prideful, ungrateful words gave it away. Okay, so here are the big three, okay? The noise of life, abundance, and pride. Those are hindrances to gratitude. Now, what are we going to do about them? Let me remind you of the scripture that we looked at at the beginning, okay? Colossians 2. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. I like that. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built up on him. 
Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Remember our key word, overflow. You know, that's a Greek word, and that word means the full bloom of the flower. It's when the flower is opened up at its most beautiful place. That word overflow means, it doesn't mean a drink of water, it means a water fountain. Fiddle, it means a well. (laughs) It it means a geyser as opposed to a little gurgling uh, creek. It's a word that means over in abundance with stuff left over. It means spilling out on everybody. The Bible says if our relationship with God is correct, then we will have that kind of relationship with humanity. We will be overflowing with gratitude to God and to people around us. So, how are we going to remove this hindrance to gratitude? I'm going to take our three, and I'm going to give you what I think is the best way for us to change that. Number one, in the noise of life, how do you, how do you combat that? With intentional expressions. You, you, have to, you have to mean to do it. You have to train yourself to think this way. You have to really take time to do it. For instance... Saying grace before meals. Now, I know for some of you, you're going, oh, we, we always do that. Well, I know, but there's some people that do not. Sometimes it's an embarrassment. Oh, I'm in a restaurant. Don't do it at a restaurant. Just sort, of, just sort of slide a little head down and then just keep going so nobody will see it. I always love it when I'm in a restaurant. I look around and I watch when people pray. It means a lot. I, I, I'm saying they're, they're grateful. You know, some of you grew up in a home where you always prayed over your meal or whatever, and somebody may say, well, they just do it by habit. Well, that's a great habit to have, pretty good habit, thanking God for your meals. Um, what about this one? What about thanking the cook? I'm, serious. Look, I'm just telling you, you got to be real practical. you got to do intentional things. What about thanking the cook? When I was a kid, my dad always thanked my mother for the meal she cooked and required us to do it too. And I'm sad to say I haven't always done that. Uh, It's true. But you know what? Every time, uh, we usually eat at home, but every time Peggy and I go out to eat, we go somewhere, my wife, we're on, on our way to the car, goes, thank you, and kisses me and says thank you every time we go out to eat. Like I did something. That's a really big, small thing, isn't it? Gratitude can even keep marriages fresh, eh? What about traditions at Thanksgiving, for instance? What about at Thanksgiving? Uh, Some of you do this, where you say, everybody go around and tell something you're thankful for. What about doing that, not just at at Thanksgiving? That's like the official time to do it. What about doing it random times? Well, what? I can't think of anything. Boy, that's the reason we need to do it more. Because you got to think about stuff. When we did the 21 days of gratitude, <laughs> and, and you're getting up going, what am I going to be thankful for? I thought, oh, that'll be easy. And then sometimes you go, oh, let me think. Let me think. And you start going and going deep, and you start realizing there's a lot to be thankful for. It's things I've never even thought of. And other, I love reading what some of you are putting because I'm going, wow, me too. And I always get on there and go, me too. It helps me. What about... What about traditions? Like maybe this 21 days of gratitude we're doing right now will be something we do at Kingwood Church in the future. I hope so. 
be a good thing. It's a matter of being intentional enough, now listen carefully, to notice people and not the offenses that they cause. To look in their faces and not their problems. Look at their faces. That's a person. It's probably going through some stuff. The, the checkout person who's so slow, they may just be worn out. And for you to say, thank you, you're awesome. God bless you. Just may make their day. And I think God would be the one to tell you to do that. Does it overflow out of you like that? Does it overflow? Abundance. How do we remove that hindrance? Well, acts of generosity. Duh. Jesus said give without expecting anything in return. Did you know he said that? Without expecting anything in return. That means if, if you do something for somebody, you give them something, and they don't say thank you, and you go, well. You didn't give that out of a heart of love. You gave that trying to get something back. That's called a quid pro quo. And it's a very selfish thing. <laughs> I'm going to do something so I can get something back. If you get offended because somebody wasn't nice when you were nice, then you weren't nice. It's true. Give without expecting anything in return, even a thank you. No agenda. Um, and here's another one. Here's another one. Ooh, here's another one. Wake-up calls. Wake-up calls. Um, sometimes God needs to send us a wake-up call to remind us to not have a prideful heart. Sometimes, I mean, not to have a, a, a problem with abundance. Sometimes... Our abundance blinds us to a point to where, well, let me put it like this. I'm going to tell you a story. There's a wonderful family in our church. I'm not going to name them, though they wouldn't care. But that wonderful family in our church that we've known for a long time, and they had two, two boys that were roughly the age of our children. And one Christmas, those two boys were blessed with two brand-new, incredible bicycles, just incredible bicycles. And that Christmas morning, they got up, and those boys had two bicycles, and they complained because it really wasn't what they wanted, because they had changed their mind at the last minute, what they wanted. And they complained and complained, and so mom and dad just took the bicycles back, and they got zero for Christmas. Now, before some of you think it's child abuse, I want to tell you something. <laughs> Both of those boys say it changed their life. That's called a wake-up call. <laughs> Sometimes we have wake-up calls. Sometimes the wake-up calls can be parent-generated, <laughs> and they probably need a few of those. But sometimes wake-up calls may be when you lost your job, and all of a sudden you realize what it was like to be without. Peggy and I, in, in, when, when I was in seminary, Peggy and I uh, moved to Missouri, and I, I thought I had a job up there. When I got up there, the job wasn't there. And so we got on food stamps. And, you know, got on food stamps. I thought, my dad's going to hate this. My dad is not a food stamp person. He's not going to like this. And, and we got on food stamps. I remember going in the food stamp office in a suit and tie. 
and sat down in the food stamp office. And people were looking at me like, why are you getting food stamps? We'd go through the, we'd go through the line um, and had our little daughter. And she had on a really pretty Sunday dress that her grandmother gave her. And people are going, what are they doing with food stamps? And I remember God let us go through that so in my heart I would understand what it was like. So my wake-up call gave me a whole new view about food stamps. And my dad, too. You know what my dad said? <laughs> I, I said, Dad, Dad, I went to the food stamp office. He said, well, good. I'm glad my taxes go to somebody I love. <laughs> I, I thought, oh, Dad, okay, whatever. I'm just, I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with needing help. Do you hear me? I, I don't need to criticize people for needing help because I know I've been there. I've been there. And that was a wake-up call. And I, 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 there's no judgment on, from somebody like me because I've been there. God gave me that wake-up call. These two boys got a wake-up call. It's an important thing to get that wake-up call. Um, you know, there's a... There's another wonderful family in our church. I'm not telling names today, just, but I did get permission, by the way, to tell these things. <laughs> Wake-up calls sometimes can be a memory that just lasts a lifetime. One time, sweet little, sweet little girl in our church, precious girl, uh, was used to getting some, some gum from, from a, a church worker. And so uh, one day, sweet little girl just walked up and tugged on the lady's dress and says, give me some gum. Well, her mother was right there and said, don't you dare do that. No, 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 that is rude. So the little girl turned around and said, hey, rude, give me some gum. <laughs> Mom had a conniption after that one. But you know what? We were talking about that this morning. What a wake-up call as a little kid to realize <laughs> And my mom, to use that as a teachable moment, funny, yeah, but lasted a lifetime. God, give us some wake-up calls so we'll understand what it's like to be in need and for somebody to be kind. Now, what about pride? How in the world do you deal with pride? Prideful heart. Number one, service to other people. Pride is an attitude of the heart, not necessarily an action. It shows itself in things like chronic negativity and victimhood and, like I said, always highlighting the dark side of the moon. Placing yourself among people who are serving other people will help you immensely. Just going and, and, and serving somebody in need. Hey, how about this one? Go on a missions trip. Go on a missions trip. As our group is going to be leaving in the morning to go to Nicaragua, full of poverty, go there and see life as it is, and it will do something inside that prideful heart. It'll change you. Go on a missions trip. Become a part of a ministry team that just cares about other people. Surround yourself with people who love other people, and it will, it'll, it'll increase this thing inside of you that cares about people. Service to others. Ebenezer Scrooge, who I'm quite familiar with, did not understand until he saw the plight of little Tiny Tim in Tiny Tim's home in the real situation. He didn't see it when Bob Cratchit worked for him in the office. All he saw was Bob Cratchit's 
bumbling around. He wasn't a good worker. But when he got home and he saw what he was working for, that's what it took to change his life. Maybe you need to go see some tiny Tims in their surroundings for God to change our heart. And here's the last thing. This is the big deal. Repentance. Now you say, why did you throw that one in there? Well, one time Jesus was invited to dinner at this religious leader's house. And Jesus went. And they were, the Bible says they were reclining at the table, a real low table, and where you would just lay down like on the floor and put your feet sort of behind you and rest on your arm, and that's how they would eat. Uh, teenagers do it now. But uh, that's how they would just eat. And uh, so somehow in the, in the middle of the meal, a, a woman with a really bad reputation came in the back door and snuck in and came behind Jesus and all of a sudden started crying and started wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. And then she took a, a, a bottle, an alabaster box. I love that word, alabaster box. I wonder why. <laughs> and, and broke it. And this very, very expensive perfumed oil she put on his feet. And it just filled the room. And the host was just incensed that this nasty woman came in here and made a scene in the middle of his banquet. And Jesus said this, wait a minute, this woman is so grateful for forgiveness, for the, for the, the forgiveness I gave her, that she was willing to lavishly give every thing to say thank you. And you, buddy, you haven't even washed my feet. You haven't even offered me a bowl to wash my own feet. Why is that? Because he didn't think he, he didn't think there was anything he needed to be forgiven of. Jesus then said this. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. To whom more is forgiven, more is loved. Do you know what we need to do? We need to look honestly and say, God, I'm so sorry that I have not noticed how much you have forgiven me. How much of my sins were washed away? God, I repent that I haven't seen what you've done for me. And I've been so judgmental of others. And I haven't had a heart of, heart of, of uh, gratitude because I really don't see all the stuff you've done. But now I see it. God, I'm sorry. That repentance, that moment of repentance will change your whole view of gratitude. Jesus said, to whom more is loved, to whom more is forgiven, more is loved. <clears throat> the scripture indicates that as our roots grow deep in Christ and our faith grows up, we'll begin to overflow with gratitude. I'm reminded of a story that I saw in college. Um, first saw it, it's called The Hiding Place. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom who was a, a Dutch lady and her family who were put in a Nazi concentration camp for, for uh, harboring Jews in their home. They were Christians and they, they were in the Nazi concentration camp and she and her sister were together. Her sister's name was Betsy. And um, I remember a scene in the movie where they were lined up and all, all, the, all the prisoners, they were slaves is what they were, were lined up and the Nazi guard had a, a metal cup and would dip out insecticide and just 
pounded on their heads to kill the lie, head lies. And one at a time, they walked up, and she just hit the—she didn't care how much it hurt them to hit them on the head. She just did that over and over. And as they were coming along, Betsy, Corey's sister, when the lady put it on her head, Betsy turned and smiled at the lady and said, Thank you. And the look on that guard's face in that movie is still with me. I remember the look of shock. How in the world could that woman who'd been so mistreated say thank you at that moment? You know why? Because she had lived with Jesus. She had walked with him and her roots had grown deep into him and her faith had grown strong. And there in the middle of a Nazi concentration camp, she was overflowing with gratitude she didn't stand there in line and say hey when I get there I'm gonna say thank you and just blow her mind that wasn't it she just did it because that's who she was she was overflowing with gratitude the full flower showed itself in a Nazi concentration camp that's what God wants to do in us he wants us to live our lives overflowing with gratitude overflowing with gratitude I want that kind of character I want that kind of walk with Christ if I do that my light will shine and people will see our Savior so much clearer today we're gonna sing a song the team is about to come and I want, I want you just to think about this as we sing this song. Maybe you need to recommit yourself. Say, God, I, I have gotten away from that heart of gratitude. I've become such a negative complainer. God, I want to change that. Maybe this could be a time that you communicate with God and you say, God, I need the change of my heart. Maybe, maybe you need to commit yourself to, God, I'm going to start doing some things. I'm going to teach my children. I, at our, at our table, we're going to thank God for the meal every day. Every day. I want my kids growing up knowing that's the way you do it. Maybe, maybe you just want to remember some of the things that God did for you today. And while we're singing this song, just lift your hands and thank God for what he's done for you. When you see him in all of his greatness, especially how he changed your life, your judgment nature will move down. Your offended nature will go down. And your grateful heart will rise up and overflow with gratitude. Would you all stand with me? We're going to sing and I'm going to come back.